I mentioned during the welcome that I was going to talk a little bit about marriage. I, I should mention before I really start and do a little disclaimer, I am not your forefront expert in marriage. Um, in the fall, my wife and I will celebrate our 10-year wedding anniversary, which we are really excited about. We're, you know, it's, it's good, great. Um, but uh, there's many, many couples here in this room right now who's got that number topped in a big, big way. And so um, because of that, I'm not going to tell you that I'm your forefront expert leader, but I'm going to share with you some practical things that I think would be good. I want to start off uh, by, by telling a couple of stories that really illustrate uh, moments when my wife and I looked at each other and were like, what was I thinking when I married you? And I can get away with this because she's not here this morning, okay? So, uh, but I, I'm not, I'm only, I'm gonna tell one on myself and one on her as well. So the, the very first one was, you know, and a lot of your great marriage stories come from three years ago during the pandemic, right? You, we saw a different side of our spouse. Um, during this time, we're, we're home at the house. It's, it's an afternoon in the fall of 2020. And I walk into the kitchen and, and Ashley is making a bunch of scrambled eggs at like four or five in the afternoon. And it's because Millie, who's five now, but was two at the time, was going through a big growth spurt. And so she is just putting them away. So I walk in and, and Ashley said, man, Casey, Millie is, she's just putting away these scrambled eggs. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, she's eaten five already and I'm making more for her, which as a two-year-old, five there, that's a lot. And I thought, wow, like, yeah, she, she really is putting them away. And then Ashley said, uh, yeah, I know. Millie is, is like so hungry. She's insatiable. And I just stop and stare at Ashley for a minute. I said, she's what? She said, she's insatiable. I said, that's not a word. And she said, yes, it is, insatiable. I said, now I heard what you said. I'm telling you, that's not a word though. And she said, I don't know what you mean when I say this. She's, I, I told you, she's insatiable. I said, again, not a word. I don't know what you're talking about right now. She said, do you know what this word means, Casey? I said, I do know what this word means, Ashley. Do you know what this word means? Because you're not saying it correctly. And she said, yeah, it's like, like she can't get enough. Like she always wants more. She can't be satisfied. And I said, then why can't you say it correctly? I don't understand this. And she looks at me. You know, we weren't our best versions of ourselves during COVID. Okay, cut me some slack. She throws her hands up. She goes, well, Casey, I guess I just don't know how you want me to talk. And I look at her and I said, I just want you to talk like a normal person. That's all I'm wanting out of this. That's all I want. We didn't talk anymore that night, I can tell you that much. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was one of those moments where, like, you give each other the silent treatment afterwards. You know what I'm talking about? Where, like, you're both sitting and watching a TV show that one of you doesn't really want to watch. And so, like, you want to change the channel, but you're like, but then I have to, like, reach across and grab the remote. And, and then you talk to him like a stranger. You know what, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I got, excuse me, ma'am, are you watching this? I was just going to change the channel if that's okay. And, and, like, you walk by in the hallway, and as you're walking by, like, you see each other. You don't want to talk, but you also realize you have to kind of 
maneuver yourself so that you don't. I mean, this is classic silent treatment stuff. That was what it was for the rest of the night. We're like, oh, excuse me, sorry. I didn't mean to touch it. And in, in Ashley's scenario, what, uh, for, for my moment, also a COVID moment, I don't know what happened, guys. I, I really don't. I, I like to think that I'm a fairly smart individual. Um, I, I do say and do dumb things from time to time. Uh, this this was not, uh, well, this was definitely one of those dumb times. And, and looking back, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. So I, I have been doing yard work during the day and I decided I need, after I've done, I'm all, you know, got grass and dirt all over me. So I'm going to go take a shower. I turn the shower on, uh, start taking my clothes off while the water's heating up. And I look in, um, and, I, and I start to get in the shower and it's freezing cold still after three or four minutes. I hop back out and I called Ashley. I said, hey, do you know what's wrong? What's going on with the shower? It's not, it's not turning on. It's not heating up. She said, yeah, I, I told you. It's, earlier this morning, I tried to do the same thing. It's, it's not working. And I don't know why I said this, but I look and I said, did you pay the hot water bill, Ashley? <laughs> and uh, she goes, did I pay the hot water bill? I said, simple question, Ashley, did you pay the hot water bill? And she said, what exactly do you mean when you say hot water bill? What portion of that? I said, the hot water bill. I don't know how else to put this. You know, the the bill that makes the water hot. Did you pay for that? And she said, do you mean the water bill? And I go, sure. Did you pay the water bill? She looks at me, she looks behind me at the freely flowing water coming out of the shower, looks back at me and says, yeah, I paid the water bill. I go, okay, did you pay the gas bill? She said, well, we, our water heater runs on electricity, so no, we don't really have a a gas thing. I said, okay, great, thanks a lot, Ashley. Did you pay the electric bill? She looks at me, she looks up at the brightest shining light bulb in the entire house, looks back at me and goes, yeah, I paid the electric bill. And it's at this point, it just hits me that like, I have no idea what I'm talking about and I am an idiot. And she said, I, I don't know if I should say this to you guys. Okay, I will. It's... Okay, so there's certain, you know how people say certain things to you at times that just triggers you? Like if certain people say, like call you a certain name or say something about you, and like there's certain things you're like, you can say that about me, I don't care, it's true. But then there's other things that people say that about you, like it just, it triggers you so hard. And, and this is one of those things. My wife is gaslighting me, okay? And gaslighting is wrong. Don't do it. But my wife uh, looks at me after I realize and it hits me, I go, Oh, and I start to walk away and she looks and she goes, Casey, you're so pretty. And I was livid. And, and I'm like, I don't know what you want me to do about it. She said, I just want you to talk like a normal person. And <laughs> I was, Ugh. yeah, we didn't talk that night either. And it was, it was not our best moment. So, um, ma- okay, marriage, let's be honest. All right. Regardless of, of your marital status, married, single, divorced, widowed, marriage is messy, okay? 
This, that's the whole series for this entire time that we're talking, is that marriage is a mess. Even the good marriages are a mess, at least to one degree or another. I'm going to give you a, a couple of stats to start off with. Uh, the United States Census in 1970 said that the average age that someone was getting married was around 21 or 22 years old. That's around the time individuals in the United States got married uh, 53 years ago. Compare that to the census taken three years ago, the average age of someone getting married was, uh, in, was somewhere between 29 and 32, somewhere in that range for Americans getting married. So that number has jumped 10 years. Why? How? What are we looking at? Here's, there are some people who might shake their heads, well, they're waiting too long. They're waiting to, they're, they need to settle down. You can think that if you want, but here's the really good thing about this. The divorce rate in the United States is down 35% since that stat was taken. So yes, people are waiting a little longer to get married, but what it means is that they are taking their vows a lot more seriously. And that's, and that's a good thing. I think overall that's a very good thing. Now, there are two areas that I'm going to really emphasize this morning in terms of marriage and what, and what I think can be just very simple things. Marriage has a lot of complexities involved, and, and there's a whole lot of different things and areas. I'm just going to focus on a couple things. This could be a long, long series that we do, but I'm just going to do one really short one this morning. So uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5, we see two different illustrations of marriage, but they're both pretty similar. Now, Peter and Paul will talk about how a wife should treat a husband, how a husband should treat a wife. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks and, and says, wives, submit to your husband out of respect for him. And culture's changed a little bit since this was said, since this was written. And so what I mean by this is that at this time where Paul's writing this, women are glorified property. Not saying it's right, just saying that was what culture was. I'd like to think that's not the case anymore, but what I think Paul would still stand by on this isn't necessarily a submit, wives do whatever your husband says and wants 100% of the time, that's your job. No, but what it does mean is wives be respectful toward your husbands. And then at the same time, Paul and Peter both say, and husbands, you are to love your wives. Peter and Paul are on to something that more than one book has been written on about marriage. In, in terms of our, our innermost needs as, as men and women, men had this deep need, this deep desire to feel respected. Women had this deep, deep desire to need to feel loved. Now, it doesn't mean that men don't need to feel loved and that women don't need to feel respected. But what it does mean is that men's need to be respected is a higher priority than to feel loved, just like women's priority is higher to feel loved than respected. And here's what this can look like in a number of ways, it is for the woman, so, so for ladies, for those of you who are married, the, when you go and hang out with your friends and, and your husband's not there, do the things that you say to your friends communicate to your friends that you respect your husband? Not, not that he's perfect, but that you respect and admire him. Guys, same question. 
do the friends you hang out with, whenever your wife is not around, do they know that you truly love and value and cherish your wife? And this is a big deal because the very first failure that I think that takes place in marriage, that not necessarily ends in divorce, but the first marriage failure can go all the way back to Genesis chapter three. See, in, in Genesis two, at the very end, we, we hear about Adam who's created and God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates woman from the rib of man. And, and so we have Adam and Eve and we have this example of the first marriage that the two become one. And then in Genesis three, we read about the fall of man, the serpent the snake goes to Eve and says, hey, have you heard about that fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And she said, yeah, the one that we're not supposed to take from and eat it. He said, yeah, you should. Because, well, God just doesn't want you to be as smart and knowledgeable as he is. He doesn't want you to become like him. But do you have any idea what will happen? I mean, you will learn, you will know so much. And here's a moment where a respectful moment with a wife and a husband would be that wife. Yes, she was tempted. Being tempted is not wrong. Falling to that temptation is. And so she's tempted. In this moment, the right thing to do as a wife is to go to her husband and say, hey, the serpent made some really good points here uh, about this taking of this fruit and eating from this. Maybe we should, maybe we could become so much smarter it's at that point where the husband would then have this conversation. Do they still end up eating the fruit if this happens? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But what that does give the husband an opportunity to say is, hey, let's make a joint decision together. How often have we had fights in marriages where the other was not consulted when a major decision was made and the spouse is left to just pick up and run with it? How often might that have happened in a marriage. Anybody? Anybody? No, just me? Okay, cool. So uh, we're going to talk about lying next week. And, and, we're, and so, um, but wouldn't that have been this, this idea of Eve to say, hey, this, this sounds like a good idea, but this is a big leap for us. This was like literally our one command that God told us not to do. And Adam would have had the opportunity to say, you know, it was said by a snake. So are we sure we want to do this? But at the same time, so they then, so Eve takes it, she eats the fruit, she goes to Adam, she's way more knowledgeable than him at this point, and so she gives him the fruit, he takes it, he eats it, they discover they're naked, they run and hide, God finds them, because he's really good at hide and seek, and he pulls them out, and he tells God, uh, and, and God says to Adam, Adam, did you eat from that fruit that I told you not to eat from? And his response isn't, yeah, I did, I'm, I'm really sorry, God. You know what it was, right? It's, uh, there's a bus coming by. Eve, come here. And he throws her under the bus. And he looks at God and says, the woman that you gave me is the one who did this. It got, it's not my fault. It's the woman's fault. In an opportunity to love and protect and value his wife, for him to say, you know what? I should have set the example. I should have been the one to say, hey, this is not right. Instead, he says, no. <laughs> throws Eve under the bus. And all of a sudden, we have Eve failing to respect Adam and his voice, and Adam failing to truly love and cherish and value his wife. So not only was this sin committed, but we see a, a little fracture, a hurt in a marriage that occurs and takes place. Now, shifting a little bit, if you look in Matthew chapter 19, 
we see one of Jesus' only times where he really talks about marriage. Now, when this occurs, uh, the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, they go to Jesus and they're trying to trap him. That's what they usually do. They're trying to trap him and say, hey, Jesus, you, you know the law, right? Is it lawful to get a divorce? And Jesus says, look, you guys know the Mosaic law, which they did. They had to memorize it in order to have the status that they had. And Jesus says, if a man gets married and decides to divorce his wife, he is to give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that if, you, that if some, a man divorces his wife and remarries for any reason other than marital unfaithfulness, then he commits adultery with that person. Now, I'll also just, uh, I'm going to come back over to uh, this story, but, but one of the th- things that, that has gotten tangled up in a lot of church and Christian conversations is divorce and what the stance is on it. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it sinful? Here's what I'll say. Divorce happens for a variety of reasons. Divorce is a case-by-case thing, but I will say this in all of them. In divorce, nobody wins. Nobody wins. I genuinely believe that. For, for those who are like, well, I finally got out of it. It was a horrible sin. Then you were losing before. And so I, I'm a big believer in, in marriage and staying married. But I'll also say, for those of you who have been divorced, that, that's a loss in one degree or another. And I want you to know that you are loved right here. We are not here to, to point fingers, to say what's right or what's wrong, but we are here to love because this is a place to belong. So if, if this is a place where you're thinking, I'd love to talk about that, or hey, I'd love to leave that part of my life in the rearview mirror because of the hurt that I experienced, either way, you are loved right here. In picking back up with this conversation, the disciples uh, don't always say the smartest things. This is a, an exception. They actually had a really good question for Jesus because he talks about I'd rather you not divorce at all. If you divorce and remarry, unless you were cheated on, then that, that's adultery. And they go, the disciples after this go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, based off what you're saying here, wouldn't it be better for us to not get married? You know, before I uh, came over here, I was hired at a church in San Antonio to be the young adults minister. And one of the number one things that I was approached with by young adult singles is, Casey, I am 20, I am 25, I'm 30, I'm 35, I'm 40, and I'm not married. And my parents give me a hard time about it. And, and people here asking, why am I not married? And Casey, what is wrong with me? And I look at them and I point them to Matthew 19 and I say, absolutely nothing. Christian culture has taught so many of us that in order to be a good Christian, we need to give our lives to Jesus, get married to a Christian spouse, and have Christian babies. Otherwise, we are not accomplishing the mission of God, which is false. It just is. Because Jesus, when his disciples said, wouldn't it be better if we didn't get married? Jesus, he says, for some of you, that teaching is too hard. Passively, Jesus says, yeah, it actually would be better. And if you look at at the mission and the writings of of guys like Peter and Paul who write about marriage, there's a lot of evidence to point to, there's a good chance they weren't married. And to think, 
and, and they'll, they'll even say this, is that it gives them more time to focus on the kingdom of God. Because if you're sitting here thinking, why am I not married right now? For whatever reason it might be, perhaps God has put you in this season of your life so that you can dedicate more time to him. Because in any marriage, God should come first, not the spouse. And so as a, as a result of this, when we look at, at marriage, when Jesus says, you know, it might be better if you don't get married. Jesus is saying something that all of you should probably know, or at least those of you who have been married and married for a while now should know. Marriage is difficult. I am not a genius in saying this. And I didn't have to be married for very long to learn this either. And, and I'm married to the most amazing woman I have ever met in my life. I, I still can't believe she picked me, really. But at the same time, there have been times where marriage is difficult. But in the same way, have you ever thought about the idea of those things that take so much time and cause so much pain and so much strife are also the things that you cherish and value the most? Parenting is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It's also been one of the most rewarding. I can say the same for marriage. It's one of the tougher things I've ever done in my life and it's probably more so because of me than it is of my wife that it's difficult, but it's also one of the most rewarding things I've ever been able to experience in my life. And so I want to go back to the Ephesians 5 passage, because Paul writes, wives submit or respect your husbands, and husbands love your wives. But then after this, here's what's so cool about where Paul writes this, and he writes it to the Ephesians, and Peter writes his letters, and, and what most scholars believe is that these letters weren't written just to one particular group of people, like, like the Corinthians. Theirs was, Ephesians was believed to be a pass-around letter, as in the church in Ephesus got it, and they passed it on to other churches within the area, and Paul knew that, and so he writes things that would be more universal, not specific to one particular church. Same with Peter. And so if he's writing these universal truths, here's what's so cool about this husband and wife relationship. He said, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he talks about the church presenting itself as the bride of Christ. If you don't take away anything from, from where your marriage is uh, or what's good or healthy for marriage, here's what I do hope you take away. Your marriage should be a part of God's mission for the world. Your marriage should be an example of what Christ's relationship with the church should look like. It's messy for starters, but this marriage that you have in the goods and the bads, should always lead you back to your core root of what it looks like for Christ and the church, his bride. And so I'm gonna tell the story, a story that I've actually told uh, last week about the story of Hosea. And if you were here last week, you remember this. If you've read the book of Hosea, you know. But Hosea is this prophet whom God goes to and says, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. I want you to marry a prostitute, and she's, you're going to have some kids. I'm going to tell you what to name them. It's really terrible names. And then uh, she's going to leave you. And Hosea has to go. He marries this prostitute named Gomer. And marries her. They have three kids. And then Gomer ends up 
going and selling herself back into prostitution. And God goes to Hosea and says, I want you to buy her back. If you look at what marriage laws in the Old Testament were, if you look at John chapter 8, where a woman who was caught in the act of adultery was brought before Jesus, according to law, Gomer should have been stoned. As soon as Hosea caught her, she should have been stoned according to law. And God said, Hosea, I not only want you to uh, marry her, I I want you to buy her back out of the prostitution that she's in. You'll have to pay for her and I want you to do it. And God says, when you do this though, people are gonna ask, why in the world would you do this? And Hosea, I want you to tell them because what Gomer has done to me is like what you, the people of Israel, have done to me. If Israel, if you are my bride and I am your groom, you have prostituted yourself out to other nations and other gods. You have broken my heart time and time again, but I will always take you back. In Hosea chapter 14, God says this, verses Starting in verse four, the Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. I'd like to invite a, a couple of groups to do something for me real quick. If you have been married for 30 years or longer, will you stand and remain standing? 30 years or longer. Cool. Some of you had to just remind your spouse how long you'd been married. That was awesome. So, uh, so first of all, can we just show our appreciation of these people and just how proud we are of them? Really cool. Uh, just, just out of curiosity, well, I'll come back to it. Here's the other thing. For those of you who are seated, but if, you, if you'll remain standing for just a minute, for those of you who are seated right now, though, what I'd like to, to point out is the people who are standing are the people who have gone through a lot of stuff, one way or another. For those of you who are standing, if you have never experienced any struggle in your marriage, go ahead and be seated. So, so, <laughs> bingo. <laughs> hey, Hey, for what it's worth, for what it's worth, I did, this, I did this lesson at another church and one guy toward the back started to sit down, looked at his wife who glared at him and stood back up immediately <laughs> right after that happened. All right, so hey, I, the reason I say this is for those of you who might have a problem in marriage, whether it's going on now or if it comes up later, these are the people who are safe spaces. These are the people who many of them will tell you, us too. We experience the exact same thing. Just to, out of curiosity, if you've been married for 40 years or more, remain standing. 40 years or longer, remain standing. Okay, all right. Yeah, we clap for that, yeah. We're gonna see how, okay, do we have any 50 years? 50 years or longer remain standing? Do we have any 50 years? Yeah, okay. All right. Do we have any 60 years or longer remain standing? We do, yes. That's awesome. All right, I'll let, you, I'll let y'all be seated. I'll let y'all be seated. Thank y'all. So, and then there's another group I'm gonna uh, invite to, to have stand. If you've been married for 15 years or less, if you will stand up. 15 years or less, my wife and I would be standing. Wow, that's, 
That, you know, what's really cool is the numbers are pretty similar. So if I were to ask those who have been married f- between 15 and 30 years, like nobody would stand up. Okay, so um, here, here's why I asked these group. For those of you who are seated and for those of you who are standing, all right, marriage is messy. Marriage is tricky. It can be difficult. It would be really easy to see this group and say, I wish you all the best. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do. One thing that I've noticed that I picked up on early in ministry was if I didn't ask people how their marriage was going, then nobody else really did. And so I'd love to invite you, look at who's standing right now and make it a point to go to these couples, especially if you have a relationship with them and just say, hey, how's marriage going? Is it okay? And provide a space for people to come and seek. Don't wait for these people to come to you. You go to them. And if they say everything's wonderful, great. If nothing else, you presented a safe space in that moment. You guys can be seated. Thank you all. So I want to close with, um, with, with this one story. And, and this is one of my favorite stories. So I, I, I was having a, uh, there, was a, there was a man who was a doctor. He had just finished med school. He's about to go into his residency. And he goes into residency. He's so excited. Uh, he's, he's, you know, learned all these things. He's ready to love on people. He's ready to help them. And he, he, goes, he goes off to work and he comes back. And his wife is waiting there, excited to hear about how his first day went. And this doctor just plops down on, on the couch. Uh, his wife, Peggy, said, Fred, how was your first day of residency? And, she, and he said, Peggy, I met the meanest man in the world today. He is my boss. And he's the doctor who's overseeing everything. His name is Bob Harris. And so he talked a little bit more about how difficult his marriage, uh, how difficult his relationship with his boss was and would continue to be. He said, I, Bob is the meanest man I have ever met in my entire life. He is an awful human being. Fred and Bob um, are regular members at Northwest Church of Christ in San Antonio, and Bob was a founding member of the church. Bob, uh, Bob was one of my shepherds, and it was really funny to hear the story for the first time because it wasn't Fred who told me the story, it was Bob. And it was right after he, uh, it was right at, he told me the story right after the ministers and shepherds prayed over Bob and his wife, Anna, as they had just celebrated their 60th anniversary. And he said, Casey, if you had met me when Fred met me, you would have agreed. I agree. I probably was the meanest man in the world, but I had a wife who loved me and respected me even when I was awful to her or my kids. And whenever we went through troubles, I knew I had a safe place to come to in our church family. And so marriage is messy, but it also changes you. Good or bad, it changes you. And perhaps it's changed in some tricky ways. Perhaps things have gotten difficult. There are people here in this room who have lost their spouse in the last year or so. There are some people here who've lost their spouse in the last three, four, five, six, 10, 20, 30 years, and they really miss that person. That's hard. There are people going through challenges in marriage, probably, I don't know for sure, but probably in this room right now. 
Because marriage is messy. But like I said earlier, this is a place where you will be loved no matter what. And so our praise team is going to come on out. And uh, our prayer team is going to stand up and they're going to head to the back. And, and these people are, are really special. The, the Ravenelli stood as, as people who've been married for, for quite some time. Jim is one of the guys who goes to the back. And if you want to talk about some areas where you're like, hey, my marriage isn't going great. Or, or maybe, hey, I really miss my spouse today. And maybe you're going through a season of life where you don't really, it's not about marriage, but there's something difficult going on. That is a safe space. And if you'd like an even safer space, they can take you to an area where it'll just be you and that person. But in this season, I'm going to invite you to let God become a center point of your life, whether it's just with you or even in your marriage, that through this, our marriage becomes our mission and that our mission of, for God is made real to the ends of the earth. If there's anything we can do, you can head to the back as we stand and sing this next song.